Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. In the fourth game of the June window, the U.S. men's national team took on El Salvador down in El Salvador in Estadio Cuscatlan, the scene of the opening game of World Cup qualifiers where the U.S. went down there and tied 0-0. It was a hard-fought game then, and it was a hard-fought game last night. To make matters worse, there was a monsoon passing through, and the field was just in about as bad a condition as I can recall U.S. men's national team playing a game in. That being said, it wasn't quite as bad as the, what was it, Canada-Honduras game a few nights ago, uh, but it was still pretty bad. And, and that being said, that's not really on El Salvador. I mean, I think the people of El Salvador would be the first to tell you that it's probably not a good idea to schedule a meaningful match down in El Salvador during the monsoon season. But, you know, Nations League, CONCACAF, let's do this. Aha, let's schedule this game. Who cares? We'll figure it out. So a slog we were promised and a slog we got. Now, I'll put a huge caveat over this game. Not a lot of soccering took place in this game, so it's hard to pull like real meaningful things that are going to be um, that are, that are going to come into play uh, for the World Cup. But that being said, I was able to pick out five takeaways, and some of those takeaways have multiple takeaways within those takeaways of things that I think actually are going to impact the squad uh, heading into Qatar. All that and more on this episode of the Yank Report. What's up? My name is Sam. This is the Yank Report, the show we talk about the U.S. Men's National Team. If you're into that. Hit that subscribe button, hit that like button. Let's get into the first takeaway, and this is the big tactical takeaway. Uh, We saw a bunch of different tactical wrinkles in this game. Early on, we heard Stu Holden say during the broadcast that he spoke to Greg Berhalter, and Berhalter said, uh, expect the U.S. to come out in that three-man back line with Reggie Cannon playing that hybrid right back, right center back, but... If soccer is not able to take place on the field, expect us to switch to a 4-4-2. And that's what the U.S. did pretty early. It was it was seen that soccering was not much soccering was going to happen uh, on that field that night. So we figured if we're not going to be able to play soccer, let's just not play soccer uh, and play a 4-4-2, kind of that classic mid-90s big guy, little guy, striker combination. Uh, think of Haji Wright and Christian Pulisic up top as like uh, Emil Heskey and Jermaine Defoe type of thing. Uh, that's not really what we got. Uh, it felt like what we more got from that 4-4-2 was, uh, it, it was like a 4-4-1 with Christian Pulisic kind of just playing wherever he wanted to play, kind of finding the game. Uh, not a bad thing in theory, but more often than not, it looked like um, it, Brendan Aronson, who was playing the left wing in that formation, uh, was taking up the same positions that Pulisic wanted to get into. There was a bunch of um, moments where they were just in the exact same space at the exact same time. Uh, and their connection with um, with Haji Wright just wasn't there. I saw a passing tree that kind of not only showed what I'm talking about as far as like the formation just not quite working, uh, but also how close Brennan Aronson and, um, and Pulisic were, and also uh, just the lack of service to Haji Wright or, or the lack of cohesion. Uh, I, I know we throw that around like lack of service to the striker, but I do think that it, it is really important for the striker to be involved and to make themselves involved in the game if they're not uh, actively being involved. But more on Haji Wright in a minute. Uh, in the second half, the U.S. actually switched back. They made a couple of substitutions and switched back to more of that uh, that 3 2 5 four 
formation that we've seen recently, and I thought the soccering picked up enormously in that second half, even though the field seemed to be even worse. Uh, so they were passing the ball around, moving it a lot better, uh, getting into better positions, playing each other, off of each other better, and, and combining a lot better in that second half. Uh, so even though one of my big criticisms for Burhalter throughout World Cup qualifying uh, was the lack of, of, of tinkering and, and the lack of like trying different things, uh, I'm a bit of a hypocrite in this game because I thought his tinkering there with the 4-4-2, trying something out, uh, it just didn't work. It didn't work for the squad. Uh, maybe it's something that could potentially work over the long term if these guys actually uh, played in that formation a little bit more. But it felt like trying to fit square pegs into round holes uh, throughout that first half. Before we get to my next takeaway, let's have a word from today's sponsor. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, including the latest odds on the NBA playoffs, fights, and even next season's futures. And don't forget that the MLB is back as well. Who are you picking to win the World Series? Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so head to the website today or use your mobile device to join or use our promo code believe that's b-l-e-a-v to receive your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit bet online where the game starts my second key takeaway and i feel like this really should go without saying but there's still a lot of people out there that kind of doubt this but like Concacaf away is just different man and I, I thought we got a really good taste of that in this window because we got to play two games against world cup opponents first and the squad looked pretty good, all things considered, in those two games. We saw a lot uh, of really good technical and tactical play. We saw a lot of great interchanges. We saw the squad create some really good chances. Uh, just a really nice, uh, we saw some really nice things in those two games against Morocco and Uruguay. And then basically this same squad, a week later, goes down to El Salvador, and we see none of that. And, and I think that that's just, that just goes to show that there's so much more to this game than just like, you know, getting out on the field and expressing yourself. I, I think we saw that the conditions were not conducive to passing. The conditions were not really conducive to dribbling and, and especially taking players on. Uh, and I think it really limited a lot of the uh, technical things that our players were able to do, which is ultimately the big thing that separates our team from uh, a lot of these smaller teams in CONCACAF is what our players can do on and off the ball. And if you limit their ability to do those things, uh, it, it really levels the playing field. And I think you saw that. I mean, if you look at um, this game from an El Salvador perspective, El Salvador didn't really get many chances. El Salvador Salvador didn't have the ball all that often. El Salvador didn't really put together attacking moves against the U.S., but they didn't really need to because that's sort of how these games work out, man. I mean, you just hit it upfield and kind of hope it bounces your way. Uh, and, and whenever you're playing in, in 720p, uh, not HD, this game was broadcast in 720p. These 720p games always tend to have screwy goals. You know, if, if the weather's bad and you're the, you can see mud on the pitch and you're playing in 720p, you can expect some weird things to happen, and they certainly did in this game. My third big takeaway is going to be the play of Eunice Musa. Uh, I've kind of been talking about Musa a lot in this window uh, and, and I thought this game might have been one of his best ever in a U.S. Men's National Team shirt. I thought that the conditions sort of made it conducive to Eunice having a big game uh, because 
the, the, we weren't really able to, to to try a lot of line splitting passes. We didn't have Walker Zimmerman in the game, who's our best distributing center back. Uh, so ultimately, uh, getting the ball from the defense to the attack uh, meant taking players on and having penetrating runs, which is Eunice Musa's strong suit. I thought the thing that really separated him in this game uh, was that in some of the prior games, we'd seen Eunice uh, get downfield and whenever he got to the final third, uh, just wait too long to play that final ball or, or try to do something uh, a little bit uh, beyond his his attacking abilities uh, and squander an opportunity. In this game, he he laid the ball off a lot to the attacking players and allowed them to do something good with it. In the 80th minute, we get that Musa free kick where he hits that knuckleball free kick, which I didn't even know he was able to do. He put a hard shot on frame. We haven't been seeing many U.S. men's national team players test the keeper on free kicks, so just another thing in Musa's locker to get excited about. And in the 78th minute, one of my favorite moments of the match, I mean, this is where Musa just absolutely Absolutely destroys an El Salvadorian player at midfield, and he starts a break. Uh, he passes to Jesus Ferreira, who uh plays a nice ball in behind for Musa to run onto. Uh, Musa is then tackled by an El Salvadorian player, at least to the red card. But then we get this wonderful moment where Musa is just sitting on the field with his hands out. And he's just like looking at his hands and looking all around this moment of like reflection where you can see him thinking to himself, like, why am I sitting in a mud pit in El Salvador right now? What choices did I make in life that led me to this moment? I was an Arsenal youth player, damn it. Why am I sitting in the mud right now? I don't understand. Just an all-around wonderful game for Yunus Musa, where you see his qualities. He's not often talked about as one of the star players on this team, but I think he's moving into that category with every single game. My fourth big takeaway, and this is where I'm going to cram a lot of takeaways into one takeaway. This is the players on the bubble. I'm going to call them the bubble boys. And, and the first one's going to be Haji Wright. We know that in the post game, Greg Berhalter uh, said some comments that were a little bit critical of Haji Wright, which is a bit unusual for Greg. Uh, so I went back and kind of watched all of his interactions throughout the game. I showed earlier that passing tree that showed that Haji was just not very involved, uh, not a lot of balls into his feet. Um, I mean, at 8.50, we get some hold-up play for Haji. Um, at 17.06, Weya attempts to slip in Haji, and it just doesn't come off. Uh, 22.55, Haji gets loose on the right wing. He attempts a cross, but it's cut out. In the 31st minute, Haji makes a run off the back shoulder of the defender. Uh, Pulley slips him in, but his shot is well wide. This was Haji's probably best attempt on goal at that point. Uh, it, it was a pretty low percentage shot, uh, so not, not a lot to write home about there. Not, not super surprised that he wasn't able to put it on frame. Uh, but probably his biggest moment from the match right there. In the 38th minute, uh, Haji holds up the ball and he earns a foul. And, and those were the only moments that I really clocked for Haji just being involved in the game. I think outside of that, I didn't see a lot from him in the pressing. Uh, and I didn't see a lot of movement from him. Now, I know I already said that the U.S. was kind of playing this weird 4-4-2, which kind of didn't want to be a 4-4-2 throughout the game. Uh, and it wasn't great for Haji. And, and to be fair to Haji, it, this is kind of a terrible game to show what you can do in with the conditions so bad. So I do feel for Haji in that regard. But at the same time, Ferreira did come in in the second half and it felt like Ferreira was a lot more involved. It seemed like he had some really nice runs in behind. He was combining a lot more and, and just being involved in the game a lot more all the way around. And it looked like that offense was functioning better with Ferreira on the field. Now, I know that I'm a big Ferreira fan, so I guess take that with a grain of salt if you'd like. But I, I do think that whenever it comes to Haji Wright and whenever it comes to what 
Greg Berhalter is looking for from a striker. I think people get so focused on goals and forget that a striker actually has a lot more responsibility than that. I read a John Mueller article in The uh, Athletic recently where he quoted Pep Guardiola about his thoughts on the striker role, and he, he said this, uh, to score five goals in two games is a good statistic, Guardiola told the press at one point, but he has to help us in the first pressure and run a lot and help us a lot with movement. You cannot be brilliant when you disappear when you don't have the ball. Now, that was Pep Guardiola talking about Sergio Aguero, but I think it speaks to uh, how Greg Berhalter sees the striker position, what he wants from the striker. Uh, I think guys like Pepe and and Ferreira just do so much work off the ball uh, that that's the prerequisite uh, for a U.S. men's national team striker, and I think it really puts things in perspective as to why uh, guys like Jordan Pifok and Haji Wright uh, are not getting the praise that some of the other players have. Another player on the bubble would be Ethan Horvath. Uh, I actually had a caller in the pregame show kind of ask me about what it would take for Horvath to make the roster, Uh, and, and with Sean Johnson having a great game and being a veteran goalkeeper and being somebody that's that's a locker room guy uh, that's good to have around the squad uh, that's rough for uh, for Ethan Horvath's chances to make the game what made it even worse was really his only two um, times he had to be involved in the game was uh, first in the 15th minute where off of a, a free kick a, a ball goes into the box and Horvath really hesitates there, doesn't know whether to come out or stay in, uh, and has this moment where the El Salvadorian player really could have had a whack at the goal, uh, whack at the ball and the goal, but but chose not to. And it was just a really bizarre kind of moment there uh, from Horvath. And then the second, of course, is going to be the goal uh, in the 34th minute. Uh, Cannon is guarding a player out on the left wing. Everybody in the world thinks that they're going to cross. Uh, Cannon leaves open the space to cross, and instead of crossing, the El Salvadorian attacker hits it right into the back of the net. Uh, rough spot there. I know Cannon needs to be covering that ball, but also if you're the keeper, you cannot get beat right there. Not in a competitive match. I mean, not whenever you're uh, potentially going to be a Premier League keeper there. That was just a really m- rough moment for Horvath, a player looking to make this roster. Not something you want on your resume if you're trying to make that flight for Qatar. And the last two I want to talk about is Morris and Areola. It's looking like there's not enough room on the roster for both of these guys. I think it's going to be one or the other. And I know coming into the June qualifiers, it looked like Paul Areola was just in the best form of his life in in MLS. He was playing really well. I thought he was playing better than Jordan Morris. Uh, The thing is, whenever you get to this level, I think we've seen from Paul Areola that physically... He's just not at that level, and he seems to be just thrown around very easily on the field. I think we saw that uh, in the Uruguay game. Um, Jordan Morris, on the other hand, seems to not have that speed that he had before his injury. Uh, just not that doesn't have the technical ability that he had before his injury. But what he does have going for him is he's still a big guy, and, and as a big guy, he's able to create space and be a threat in the box, which is useful if you're in a situation where you're chasing a game and kind of throwing balls into the box which is where the U.S. found themselves. I'll compare and contrast a couple of moments here. There was a moment uh, right before Areola got his red card uh, where he goes up for a header and it's just easily smoked off the ball and, and just ends up like six feet in the other direction uh, like it was like a Matrix movie or something. He just flies away. And you compare that a little bit later in the 87th minute where Morris gets an opportunity at a, at a ball at the back post and his physicality allows him to get his head on that ball. It ends up being that moment where uh, it should have been a handball in El Salvador, but 
you know, we're in El Salvador, it's raining, the pitch is bad, it's in 720p, uh, we're never getting that call in a million years, so uh, yeah, good luck with that. And then of course in the 90th minute, Luca De La Torre puts that ball uh, over to the back post and Jordan Morris gets the uh, equalizer, and that's something that you can get from Jordan Morris, and, I, and I'm thinking if I'm looking at Paul Areola and Jordan Morris right now and trying to decide which one, if I'm the coach that I would bring to Qatar, if I have to bring one of them, uh, and it kind of looks like you have to bring one of them. I'm thinking Jordan Morris at this point, just because I don't know what situation in a game is conducive to bringing in Paul Areola. I know that if, if it's late in the game and I've got really tired legs, maybe I'm in extra minutes, that I can bring on Jordan Morris and he can be a physical body in the box and, and maybe find me a goal, or at least just be physical enough to, to create something that can lead to a goal or something like that. I don't know that Paul Areola brings that for me. I'm not really sure what he brings to the team at this point. My last big takeaway is going to be the Tyler Adams versus Luca Della Torre discussion that sort of erupted ever since uh, Luca Della Torre got a few minutes at the end of a game in the sixth position. Now, I'm noticing that there's been a lot of criticism of Tyler Adams lately uh, over his play over the last few games and, and, a, and a movement to see Luca Della Torre in that sixth spot. I've been a pretty staunch defender of Tyler Adams. I think his work off the ball and his, his what he brings to the press and his defensive ability makes him absolutely invaluable to this uh, U.S. men's national team. But I did have a caller before the game during the pregame show call in and say, hey, what if it's a tight game, the opposition is is not able to uh, really counterattack, we're not worried about defending, uh, and we just want to get more creativity on the field? Would that be a situation where you can see Luca De La Torre being brought on for Tyler Adams? And I was like, you know, I haven't really thought about that. That's a great point. Uh, that is a situation where I could see it. And lo and behold, that's exactly what we see in this game. Late in the game, the U.S. needs to find an equalizer. Greg Berhalter uh, substitutes Luca Del Torre on for Tyler Adams. And he does what Luca Del Torre has been able to do pretty much every time he's been on the field for the national team. Uh, he, he gets on the ball and he makes things happen uh, in the final third. And, and in this moment, he, uh, he was able to... Uh, find a ball to the back post for Jordan Morris to to tie up the game. And I, I think moving forward, I, I think this is like where we're going to see Luca Della Torre utilize in the midfield. If if we need something, if we need that spark late in the game and, and we're doing kind of last-ditch effort things, this is what we're going to see. We're going to see Tyler Adams to come off, Luca Della Torre come on, and hope to get more from that uh, sixth position uh, in, in an attacking sense with Luca Della Torre. So those are my five key takeaways. A frustrating game to watch. I couldn't help but think like I thought World Cup qualifying was over. I thought I was done with this Kakakafery uh, for another few years. But here we are again. Another um, beautiful uh, sloppy night down in San Salvador. Watching players get stretchered off. Watching a player with a clear concussion that's like throwing up on the field. It's just not going to come off. You know, no VAR. Uh, players on the ground constantly. Constantly, so much time wasting, so little soccer being played. Welcome to CONCACAF. We're back, baby. What were your thoughts on the game? Do you have any comments on some of my takeaways? Do you have any takeaways of your own? What do you think about some of those guys in the bubble positions on the roster? I know I didn't talk about Reggie Cannon. He didn't have a great game either. Uh, the two defenders, um, CCV and Aaron Long, I thought they were both pretty good. I think CCV had the better of the two games. Uh, thank you to everybody who came into the uh, the post-game show. The post-game show had a lot of technical difficulties. Like I didn't realize that I was muted for like the first like two minutes of the video. 
though. So uh, and, and later on, there was freezing. So I ultimately decided to just cut it short. Uh, but we're definitely going to continue to do phone and sh- phone and shows in the future. I just got to make sure that I got to click all the right boxes and have everything set up correctly. Uh, but I'm having a lot of fun with that. And I look forward to the next call and show. The Kings of Kakashaf shirts are um, are being printed right now and they're being shipped out this week. I actually went to the uh, the printing facility yesterday and got to watch the fil- the shirts coming off the line. So it was really cool. I'm excited to get these shirts in you guys' hands so you can go off into the world uh, and share the Kakakafari with uh with your community. If you want more Yank Report in podcast form, we do have the podcast out there. You can download that. You can rate it. You can leave a comment or whatever it is you do for podcasts. Thank you guys for watching. Thank you guys for subscribing. If you really want to support the Yank Report, you can become a member. Shout out to my tier two members, Chris Masasa, Manuel Adivetis, Mike Irish, Matthew Doyle, and Matthew Hanna. Guys, thank you so much for watching. My name is Sam, and this is the Yank Report brought to you by Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.